from the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette, this is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. We appreciate you joining us on the program this month. If you've got a question you'd like to make it on this program, email that to ask at WBAA.org and tweet your question at WBAA News on Twitter if you like. So uh, I wanted to ask one quick thing about uh, sort of the way the campus has taken on this this winter. Uh, it's been a little bit different. We've had this kind of freeze-thaw, warm-up freeze-thaw. How is the campus doing in terms of things like potholes, making sure people aren't slipping on the sidewalks? Have you spent more money on salt, things like that? I think the answer is yes. I I believe our physical facilities folks have just done a heroic job. People don't see that uh, when the sidewalk is is clear at 8 o'clock when they're on their way to class, somebody was up at 4 o'clock working on it. Um, it's not perfect. I Today I did have an email from a, a mom who, who visited and saw some uh, sidewalk somewhere that hadn't been taken care of, but I've had many more compliments on the other side. Um, one thing to remember is there's a lot more to deal with now, especially the bike paths and other things. We've added so many uh, more, I'm sure, miles of that over recent years that the the challenge, that particular challenge, has gotten bigger in terms of streets and so forth. Uh, to my knowledge, they've either held up well or been quickly uh, repaired because uh, that's, that's one area where uh, I've not heard uh, complaints. But uh, we'll all be glad when spring is here and those aren't issues anymore. You've got a number of construction projects underway on campus as well. Has the winter weather impacted the timetable mm-hmm. of those? Clearly, there were days that were just way too cold for anybody to work. Um, my, my sense is that they're all, however, on balance or overall, uh, still on track. Uh, another reason to praise our, our facilities folks is that every single project, I can't think of a single exception, during my time here, they have taken on, they have delivered uh, on or ahead of schedule and at or under budget. So those folks are among the people who are impacted by an announcement you made at this month's University Senate meeting. You announced a plan to give $500 one-time bonuses to any staff member who was on staff as of the end of last year and making $75,000 or less a year. Um, we've been talking to people around campus uh, about their thoughts on that. And and some have asked a question that I wanted to put to you. They wanted to know why that money was put into this bonus pool rather than into a raise pool. So, uh, in other words, why a one-time bonus versus a structural increase? Well, we are making a a raise pool, which, again, we know is competitive with what uh, other universities are doing. And um, uh, this was meant to be something on top of that. Um, If we had put this into the raise pool, we wouldn't have moved it very much. But the fact is, uh, we've been careful about what we put into the base expenses of the university. We don't know what the future will bring. We know we could afford this now, and so um, you know, that's that's the reason usually that things are done on a one-time basis. But uh, um, I hope people uh, received it in the spirit with which it was intended, which is that um, uh, our ability to keep Purdue accessible uh, and affordable has really been a collective effort. And um, our employees have come up with great suggestions. They have cheerfully, in most cases, gone along with some changes in the old ways of doing business that have helped make us more productive. And so uh, 
Uh, as I've told our, our students, if if you are happy about our keeping tuition down, try to remember to thank that worker or that that uh, administrative assistant or that staff person that you may encounter during your day because they had a direct hand in it. And that's what this appreciation payment was uh, about. And you mentioned, of course, the raise pool uh, again this year, 2.5%. That's uh, it's been kind of the, the mode for the last couple of years. I, I was looking up some numbers this morning, and I was looking at uh, numbers that the Federal Reserve has on inflation the last couple of years. And so the first couple of years that this 25 to 3% pool went in, uh, it, was, it amounted to a really good raise for people because the consumer price index was not advancing very quickly. And so Purdue was actually doing quite Quite a bit um, in terms of percentage over percentage in terms of giving raises. The last couple of years, the numbers tell me uh, the consumer price index uh, inflation has been a little over 2%, 2.1, 2.2%. And so now that, that gap has closed a little bit for uh, Purdue is giving 2.5%, and we should say, and we'll get more into this in a second, it's not 2.5% for all employees. It's different all over the place. Um, but that, that the difference between the amount that prices have gone up for food and housing and things like that versus the amount of the average raise is closing. Is it time for you to to look at that gap and determine how much you can afford? Well, we take it year by year. Thank you for pointing out these have been above inflationary uh, levels. And that's one that's one thing we look at. We also look at what the competition is doing. And we're right in the uh, mix with them. In fact, more than many, many uh, schools have been able to afford. Um, there are years in not too distant past here where there were zero raises here at Purdue. That is true. It was before I got here, but I looked back. And uh, so we'd like not to get back to that. That's another reason to be careful what you build into the base. Um, but the uh, uh, we watched the competition. I, I pointed out to the University Senate in making this announcement yesterday, just looking at faculty now, if you compare us to our sister school, whom we'll be playing in basketball shortly after uh, we record this uh, interview, um, our faculty are paid at uh, every level uh, more, from 7 to 13 percent more than the faculty there. So that's what we keep an eye on. We want to be competitive. We want to be. Um, uh, we, we don't want to lose people uh, really over. Uh, um, fact just because they can get paid more elsewhere. You have said on this program and elsewhere in the last couple of years as you've been sort of uh putting pressure politely to on, on bosses to, as you put it, not spread the peanut butter evenly across and give everybody just a 2.5% raise and be done with it. Do you have any numbers from the last couple of years about how many people are getting the average, how many people are getting over, how many people are getting under? Great question. I I, I was asking that very same question the other day, and we're the, they're gathering now. So I don't know exactly how um, uh, what the curve looks like. Um, and, and it's important to look at it from place to place because some folks are, uh, in my opinion, more fair about this. I, the least fair thing one can do is give exactly the same raise to someone who's not pulling their weight as you gave to somebody who's doing a great job. That is grossly unfair to the high performer. And so we have made a point of saying this is a pool, but uh, in any organization our size, I mean, I think we have great associates, but... When you have thousands and thousands of them, there are going to be some absolute superstars and some folks who who just aren't, as I say, pulling their weight. And it is very important that, um, and it's a matter of fairness, that 
uh, uh, leadership, where uh, those who in, in with management responsibilities differentiate and uh, really do reward. And we do. We've had increases, you know, of seven and eight and nine percent in a given year for the very best performers. But I don't think, as an organization, we're good enough yet in making that the general rule. Do you think that once you get those numbers back, they would be used at any point to establish how well bosses are doing their jobs in terms of determining who the best performers are? Absolutely. Um, if, if we can get uh, uh, accurate data at that and by the way, the, these, these new reforms that are uh, uh, in our business processes that we've talked about in the past are going to give us better data than we've ever had. And we'll be better able to look at that. And if if there are folks who are just simply brushing it off and is, is just uh, and not really uh, rewarding the best performers, not having a candid visit with those who aren't, and saying, "Listen, here's why you're getting less than two and a half percent, and here's some things you could do to improve, so next year you might." Uh, that's what effective leadership should be like around here at every level. And uh, I do think it's something that uh, we got to get better at. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Email your questions to ask at wbaa.org if you'd like to make them on the program. We did actually get a, a question that I wanted to put to you from somebody. Uh, Howard Schultz, the former Starbucks CEO, was here on campus a couple weeks ago as one of the opening events of his tour as he decides whether he wants to run for president in 2020. We had a listener email us, and she was displeased that the main room in which he was speaking was not open to the public. There was a room where you could watch what was going on on closed-circuit TV, but she wanted to be a little bit closer, maybe have a chance to walk up to the, the potential candidate. But more so, she wanted to know whether Purdue would make it a point as potentially more people who are thinking of running for president or have announced come to campus in the next 18 months, which seems likely if 2016 and what happened then is any indication. She wants to know what, what kind of guarantee the university will make that that people who would be voting potentially for this person get as close access as possible? I think it's, it's a good question, by the way. I'm very sympathetic to this. Now, the circumstances here were such that it came up on almost no notice. We only had a couple of days to get ready. So it was, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, it was very much their uh, request. Uh, we showed them bigger halls that were available. Um, and it was very much their selection to use that hall and set it up about the way it was. That's uh, Now, he wasn't uh, prepared to take questions that day, so we thought the, an overflow room, so everybody saw exactly the same thing. Candidly, he didn't seem prepared for a whole lot, but that's, that's well, from somebody who was in the room. I, well, <laughs> I think that might be – he probably wouldn't disagree. I mean, he's not, a, he's not been a political figure before. This is his very first real presentation. And um, he's just trying out some ideas, I guess, is the way I interpreted it. Um, but so I, I agree with your characterization. I agree with the um, uh, lady's uh, uh, question. I'll, I'll just say in, in, in 16, we invited all the three you know, final candidates to come. Well, only one did. It was a huge open event. Now, they, I think we, they did, uh, as the Schultz people did, requested to be ticketed and so forth. But it was much, much bigger, and anybody could, it was free. As this one was, but um, no, uh, I, I acknowledge that we uh, set it up in the in the time available. We set it up uh, basically to the 
the the specs that they asked for. Is there a way that that the university can have any control over that to say we have a policy that we want these events on campus to be as open as possible so that the the, the candidate can't have a, a take it or leave it attitude? Once again, he's not a candidate. The that might make if he was actually candidate. an active candidate. That that might make a difference. I mean, we would not treat treat him differentially, or won't if the time that time comes back around. Um, uh, no, we frequently have guests, academic guests, and all sorts of people who have their own requests about how we uh, set things up. Sure, we had a choice. We could have said go go find another school. I was glad that they were interested in coming here. I thought it would be, quite honestly, another way to put Purdue on the map, and it did. And I want us to be seen as the sort of place where important things happen, and and his thinking about running uh, is kind of you know, of some importance. I think he was on 60 Minutes of about nine days before he came here. Yeah, so And made sure to point out he'd be on CNN shortly thereafter. So. Yeah. So that was that's what went into it, but I uh, I, I fully accept the uh, uh, nature of those concerns, and in fact we we shared them. One last thing in this space: there's only one Hoosier who's currently running, Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend. Mm-hmm. I wondered how much this is somebody you know. I know him pretty well. Well, uh, uh, his service, the local level and mine at the state level, overlapped. Made a point of knowing, of course, everybody who was uh, in office. Uh, uh, in a place as important as South Bend, or frankly, mayors and local officials, much smaller places. So I know him. He's a bright guy. He has an open attitude. Uh, we had uh, uh, some collaborations together. I mean, every day of my life then, I was trying to bring more jobs and growth and opportunity to Indiana, and sometimes it was in his area. And when we could, we cooperated. So I like him, and um, and I uh, admire his talents. On to some other things. Um, we, you also mentioned the tuition freeze is going to go into an eighth year. And uh, so I was looking again at, at those uh, inflation numbers. There's been about 9% cumulative inflation since 2012, which is the level that the tuition will stay at is those 2012 levels. I'm thinking a little more. Uh, uh, I mean, that is... It's, it's just slightly it's, above 9% uh, yeah, according okay. to the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Uh, so the $10,000 base cost for tuition, if you'd indexed it to inflation, would be about 10900 bucks, give or take now. And my point is that the, the longer... The the tuition freeze goes, and you've been very open about saying it can't go forever, uh, is it seems to me, and, and tell me if this is an incorrect characterization, it seems to me the longer it goes in some ways, the more the resulting increase on the back end is going to hurt because you will have had the costs of almost everything go up more and more years and there's going to have to be some market correction, for lack of a better way to put it. And and is it correct to think that it might hurt more if it goes 8, 10, 12 years? Well, you've asked me this before, and I, I still don't get it. I mean, it, I, the only way that would be the case is if, if, if the university decided that having foregone increases for quite a while, we had to have a massive catch-up. You know, the... Uh, your colleagues at the uh, at the local uh, newspaper um, catalog today. I frankly had forgotten. I hadn't looked in a while. The level of increases in the years leading up to um, our uh, string of zeros, and it was nine and ten percent in a single year. Sure, no, that's once or twice. That is and true. Five percent, six percent, year on year on year, and so um, people will no doubt remember that they got to the point where. 
Luke Kenley in the state Senate said to Purdue and to IU, look, there are tens of millions of dollars of projects that we're going to withhold from you if you don't get under this four and five percent you've been doing every single year. So um, what I would not expect, I don't know what I think you should expect is that that will go eight years or of uh, without an increase, and then suddenly a whopping big one. That would that would that's not our policy. You know, we're we're trying to watch carefully year by year. You know the terms. We've got to more than break even. We're not dipping into any reserve to do this. The reserves have actually grown some over the course of time. Um, as I pointed out in the Senate yesterday. Uh, we're not sh- switching, as many schools quietly are, to less expensive faculty. People retire, and they replace them with a temporary or a part-time or a non-tenured. Oh, we although have, we, have done, we have done some buyouts, which is a common way that universities do exactly well, what you're describing. Except that when we replace them, we replace them on the tenure track. We have the number one percentage of tenure, tenure track faculty. In the, uh, in the whole world of research universities, so-called AAU, actually number one among the publics, only MIT has an even higher percentage on the tenure track. Um, as I mentioned, we are paying competitive salaries to those um, faculty significantly higher than our nearest comparator uh, in the same state, the same cost of living environment, and so forth. Um, we have grown that faculty at the same time and I showed the Senate again yesterday that even though the student enrollment, the student body here has grown, as of course you know, we've grown faculty even faster such that the ratio, we also have the best ratio at a little over 12 faculty per student of any comparable university in the in the country. And so, of course, growing the student body is one way to keep that tuition free. Absolutely. Because you have more people paying ten grand a year. That's absolutely correct. And But but uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that's put stresses on housing and other things, which we've talked well, about on this program. And and so we work hard on that. I also showed them yesterday. Six years ago, we had the most expensive room and board in the Big Ten. Now we have the or 14th out of fifth. We have, no, that is the most expensive. Now we have the either first or second least expensive. So sure. Uh, all these things uh, uh, matter, but you're quite right that uh, more ha- tr- having more students choose Purdue. And by the way, I'll tell you quite openly, one reason uh, to make this um, news known now is that now is the season when top students, when students are deciding which school to go to. Do you think it's going to happen again this fall? I don't know. Um, I, I, all I know is I, would, I want those families to understand that our commitment remains. It's going to extend that one more year and might, uh, might help uh, break a tie here somewhere of, uh, where somebody's uh, b- between uh, us and uh, another great school. So, so let me play devil's advocate to myself here. Have you thought about uh, whenever the time comes uh, to, to say, all right, we, have to, we just have to increase tuition again. Have you ever thought about or, or talked about what some places do, which is you index it to the inflation rate so that you can say to people, look, we're never going to charge you more than what cost of living is going up. Otherwise, we're not gouging you. And it gives you a way to have a numerical basis for saying, look, we, we set it at this rate for a reason. We're not gouging you. We're still trying to be competitive, and we're still trying to be economical for your dollar. Is that is that a metric that's ever come up? No, but it's it's thinkable. I mean, there are there are other ways that uh, some some uh, places are uh, uh, approaching this. Nobody quite in the way we are. But you know, back to your original concern or question. 
when, it's when, not if, the, the day arrives when we're going to make some kind of an adjustment. Uh, it, I hope it'll be consistent with the operating philosophy that we've been using, which is make it as, as minimal as possible. Do all these other things and make, make you, it will never uh, uh, compromise on quality, and I hope I've been illustrating that. Yesterday, I also reminded everybody of the major, major investments in research and in, and in uh, the capital stock of the university. But if you can do all those things, um, and, and uh, th- then you ought to, and only then ought you, if you can't know, if you can't do those things, and still break even, then you ought to make whatever the minimal adjustment is to get you back to that point. Let me ask uh, a question that relates to of these things that we've been talking about. Would the this is a question we've been asked, and only you can answer. Would the raise pool be bigger than two and a half percent if there was no tuition freeze in place? Don't know. Um, uh, but let me just say this, as I've explained this to other people. Here at Purdue, uh, I believe we should so- continue solving the equation for zero. That is to say, uh, trying to, to hold to the line on tuition and then to see if we can make the other factors conform to that. We are not here. We're not an employment bureau. We're not here simply to you know, hire people and pay them more. I want to pay them very competitively. I want the very best employees to be paid very, very well, as we talked about that. I think we're doing that. But uh, if you're asking me what our number one priority is, I'm going to tell you it's the uh, uh, being an accessible school that students can afford to come to, whether they come from even from modest circumstances. And I think that we've made a lot of headway on that. And you know what? I just bumping into our associates all over this place, I think they're proud of that, and, and, and they ought to be, because they have contributed to making it possible. It's interesting. You've now, twice in this conversation, used the word associates, which mm-hmm. is a word I've heard you use before, but not as, not as frequently. And it's a word that gets used a lot in business contexts. You hear colleagues being referred to as associates. You have, of course, talked about making the university, just like you did with the state, more business-like in its operation. Is that a conscious word choice on your it part? It is. Very perceptive on your part. Um, I don't like the word employees. It just connotes a difference. And uh, it, it just, um, I think, connotes a, a, a difference in level. Or uh, I much prefer the notion that we're in this together. We each have our own roles. So I think associates is a well-chosen word. We, we could say colleagues, but that's a that's in common use among the faculty to, when, in discussing them and talking about themselves. And so that's their word. Talking about other faculty members. Yeah, and it would be confusing to use that. So yeah, I, I do probably use it because uh, to me. Uh, um, it uh, it suggests uh, that we're more one team, and um, um, that's certainly the way I look at it, and I, I think that's why I recoil from the usage of employee. You also used the word accessible a minute ago, and that relates to a story that we saw in the New York Times just before we taped this, uh, and it's about former Purdue math professor Edre Goins, uh, who in the piece says he left uh, Purdue's employee in part because of what he perceived of as a lack of diversity in both hiring and, and indeed understanding by his colleagues. He s- describes one conversation in the story where 
He says department members in an open meeting talked about having trouble recruiting minority speakers to talk about mathematics. And one person attempted to make a joke, he says, by asking if Australians counted in the diversity count. What do you think? I, I don't know if you've, this was a story you've seen. What do you think it says about Purdue's culture of trying to, to foster those sorts of conversations? Nothing. Why is that? Well, I don't know anything about this, but what I read, I, I'm sorry to say I didn't get to know Professor Goins um, during his time here. So I just know what, I just read the article as you did. Um, he didn't say he left because of lack of diversity. He said he didn't feel respected, and only he can judge that. He said he felt isolated and alone. Well, yes, he's one of 12 African-American math professors, this comes out of the article, in the whole country. They said of the they said of, of in the top fifty most highly regarded math departments of which they said Purdue yeah, like was one. 2000, 2000 twelve faculties. out of two thousand. Right. So which might speak it, to, which which would seem to potentially uh, one way to read that is it speaks to a bigger problem of hiring. Of course, everybody you know we we've been worrying about it and working on it here. It's it's one of the top assignments for our diversity program here is to somehow we have to out recruit in certain areas in certain disciplines. Basically, the STEM disciplines. There's an ocean of evidence on this. They're ju- they're just not there. You know, every year the the number of nuclear engineers, African American nuclear engineers, and last year was in the country. PhDs. I'm sorry, was one. Now, I don't know where that person is, but everybody wanted to hire her or him, and so um, it's just a sad reality. And uh, th- so he, he didn't have a Purdue problem. He had an everywhere problem. That anywhere he went. Um, regrettably, uh, he he would be a, a, an unusual or even an isolated case. I I can't speak to why he didn't feel respected here. He was given tenure as a full professor. That's the ultimate expression of respect. It is very hard to become a full professor at Purdue University, and um, someone who did that should have felt so proud and so affirmed. I, I hope he did. I hope that whatever that sentence meant it referred to something else but i'm sorry that he's not here because again it is people like him who are good enough to come and teach at purdue let alone achieve full professor status are diamonds i mean they're 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 precious and we work so hard to recruit them or occasionally to grow our own and so i'm really sorry uh, uh, again knowing no more than was in the article but uh, I think you're absolutely right. He's emblematic of a, of a very pervasive national problem that we struggle with, and so does every other university. This story comes out within the same week or two that Purdue announced it was recreating the position of director of diversity. It was a position that was taken over um, underneath the, I believe, the provost a couple of years ago. Why the decision to separate it back out into its own job? The last provost said, let me take it on. He was very enthusiastic, and uh, as the as the current provost is, but our provost has got a huge portfolio, and so uh, having that office report to him without without somebody to uh, manage it and run it for him, uh, he, he he came and said he'd like to go to that model, and I supported it. And so, what do you need that person to do? Even absent the story about Professor Goins, what do you need that person to do to? solve some of these problems that that have been Mm -hmm. mentioned multiple times. Anybody working on that issue or in some capacity related to it in in this university has had two assignments, as far as I'm concerned, for a long time. 
student success and recruitment. Recruitment have, meaning student recruitment and faculty recruitment we just talked about. And um, so we worked very hard on that. We've started high schools, the second one, as you know, opening this fall expressly uh, to uh, try to generate a, a bigger pipeline of low-income, especially minority students. Uh, we're, we're doing everything we know how, and the folks working in that area, and we're excited about having John Gates come, he embraces those two goals. We want to get students here and faculty here, and when the students get here, we're going to do everything we can to help them succeed and graduate. All right. Well, that's the time we got. Thanks, as always, for your time, and uh, we'll do it again next month. See you then. Thanks to all of you who have also listened to this show on your Indiana Public Radio station. Find these shows archived at WBAA.org. If ever you have a question you'd like to put to Purdue President Mitch Daniels, email that to ask at WBAA.org, and we'll be happy to have it on the show. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Enjoy the rest of your day. Support for the monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels comes from Purdue University Press, publishing global scholarship and popular regional work since 1960. Today in print, ebook, and open access formats. More information at thepress.purdue.edu.